Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown, a show that is 100% CFL content and 0% actual countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And we're back after a week off. Uh, it was a week of technical difficulties, uh, a week of busy schedules. Uh, essentially, what happened last week was uh, we recorded a full episode of the podcast, but uh, we had some internet connection issues. So throughout the entire episode, Mike could only hear bits and pieces of what I was actually saying. So there was a lot of editing needed to be done. I did not have the time to edit it. So we apologize for no episode last week. But we're back and we're going to give this another shot and hope the internet uh, sticks out for us this time, aren't we, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the good thing about no show last week, nobody had to hear about how atrocious my pitum was. <laughs> so that, that's the one dead benefit to all this. Yeah, it was a rough week for Pickham for myself as well. I know I went one and three this past week. Uh, I'm not sure what your record was. Uh, I, think, I think I went Beto and four. Ooh, going back to the start of the year we are here. But uh, an interesting week coming up where uh, the first game of the week comes on Wednesday. So uh, a bit of a format change this week will uh, – or sorry, the first game this week is on Wednesday – First game of next week is on Tuesday. So we're going to talk about that game at the end of, as well when we do our pick for this week. Uh, and then I think we're recording our next show on Wednesday next week. So look forward to it later next week. But let's dive into recapping week number seven in the CFL. We're pretty much at the halfway point. I think after this week, we will be. Uh, it starts off with the Friday night game between uh, Calgary and Hamilton. Uh, or one of the Friday night games, I guess. Uh, the Ticats pull this one out 23-17. First time in his career, Bo Levi Mitchell has lost to the Ticats. Uh, your thoughts on this game, Mike? Well, it's the first time that I, I, I can ever recall Bo Levi Mitchell being flat off pulled um, for performance, uh, but wasn't injury related. Um, to be very honest with people, the score flatters the actual result. Calgary uh, had a late touchdown. So for all intents and purposes, this was a 23-10 game. Um, you know, th- this to me is a low point in Calgary football in quite some time. Uh, Hamilton starting their third string quarterback, and for most of the football game, you only muster a couple field goals and a total of 10 points, taking away the last touchdown. There is something very, very fundamentally wrong in Calgary. If a third stringer in Hamilton, and if it doesn't have all that much CFL playing experience, can come in and beat, you know, what's supposed to be a perennial Western Division favorite coming into the season. Like it's just like uh, among the things that don't make a lot of sense is Calgary starting the way they have. And what's really starting to make sense is that Calgary is not a good football team this year. Uh, I've held off on saying that for a while. I wanted to give them the benefit of a doubt as far as turning it around. But now all of a sudden, like, you know, there's the one thing about, okay, you know, it's a slow start. It's a slow start. But when did the slow start become a terrible start? And when does a terrible start becomes too much to overcome. Well, based on the way the top three teams in the West are performing, 
I would say two and five is rock bottom. Uh, I did not foresee this coming. Uh, one of the wins that Calgary had, okay, yeah, they won by a half a yard against the Montreal uh, Alouettes uh, early in the season. I think it was the same week the Bombers uh, lost their only game to Toronto. But that's besides the point. And now we have an issue of really how bad does this get in Calgary? Because you look at their upcoming schedule before we talk about more uh, about the game. Uh, they're playing at home with Saskatchewan. They have a home and home with Saskatchewan. Uh, then they go to BC, come back and host Saskatchewan. Well, Ryan, I don't know about you, but based on the way the standings are, uh, must win time for Calgary starts now, and it may have started two weeks ago. Yeah, that's certainly a tough divisional schedule coming up, and that those are two of the top teams in the league right now in BC and Saskatchewan they're facing, and the, the puzzling thing for me is I, I still can't quite crack it with the Stampeders of what's so different this year that they are struggling so much because this is a team that year after year we've seen so much talent and then because there's so much talent it gets you know some guys leave in free agency some guys leave to the NFL and then okay Calgary brings a bunch of guys in that we've never heard of that turn out to be superstars again. And what what is it different about Calgary this year than it has been in years past? And that's something that puzzles me. Uh, obviously, all the talk right now is on Bo Levi Mitchell, and I, I want to touch on that yet in a second uh, yeah. because he, he's definitely struggling. But, I mean, Kadeem Carey, after a couple solid weeks in a row, has come out flat the past two weeks, fantasy performances under five points in both those games for him. Um, you know, some of the receivers, I mean, this week, if you look at the receiving game for Calgary, uh, it was all of the uh, kind of backups pretty much that led the way. They're the three guys at the top of the receiving chart for them. Uh, Luther Hakuna Vanhu, who, which, by the way, top 10 name in CFL history right there. Um <laughs> Colton Hunchak and Dan Williams III were the three leading receivers for the Stampeders. You had Kamar Jordan, Josh Huff, and Marky Thambles, the only three targets who have had any sort of production all year long. Let's see, uh, Jordan had 23 yards, two catches, five targets. Huff had two catches on four targets for 10 yards. And Marky Thambles, after last week going uh, five catches on 17 flipping targets, uh, had one catch for negative five yards. So uh, it's surprising to me. I mean, I guess it's nice to see some of the depth players uh, step up and spread some of the load around here for Calgary, but you're not going to win very many games when your three go-to receivers are giving you production like that. Well, and then here's the answer to this again. I don't want this to sound like we're railing on Calgary. Oh, we are. But, but there comes a point where... You know, this is not just one or two games here. This is the problem. And this is the problem with capital letters. And I would dare say it's a five-alarm fire based on their schedule coming up and based on the quality of those top three teams in the West. And I don't want to hinge this all on bowl. Maybe, just maybe it's Calgary 
playing down to their opponent's level, which is something almost unheard of, I know. And everybody wanting to get up to play Calgary and wanting to make the statement. You know how that goes, right? You have one of the perennial teams in the last decade, and they are supposedly the perennial team coming into this season. All indications were but they were going to take maybe a step back from their actual record. But nobody expected a step back like this. Like, it's, it's Calgary. But I don't even know how you rectify something like this. Because if you look at their roster, by and large, it is a good, talented roster, one would suggest. Unless my piece of paper and my eyesight is deceiving me. <laughs> But I don't believe I don't believe that to be the case. I just think Calgary is the victim of circumstances beyond their control, and their offense is not clicking. Their defense had a lot of changeover. There were games, you know, every loss that Calgary has had this year has been just another way to lose. Uh, the defense was letting them down early. Bo hasn't been all that good. They just haven't been able to put it together. Yet the scary thing is, Ryan, if they win the next four in a row, which we all know Calgary is capable of, I'm not too sure I want to be a team in the West playing Calgary at third place. And I'm not going to say that that, you know, is going to happen. But I'll tell you what, if they lose two out of three to the Riders and they lose to BC, I'm sorry, but you can turn the lights out on their season. That's how dire this is getting. Like, this isn't week one or week two right about now. They lose two out of their nuts, three to the Riders. Well, there's your season series with the Riders. You're already, I think it's six points further back. Then it becomes really interesting. And do teams supposedly make trades with Calgary? for some of their pending free agents if they so choose to rebuild this thing. And I'm wondering if fully by Metro isn't at the top of the trade list for Calgary, but what is trade value for any of these guys when they're not performing at their best? So there's a lot of questions, but also a lot of answers. But there's a lot of things that have to go right for Calgary to gain ground in this race. And it starts with right in front of them. Because as bad as they've been at two and five, you and I both know they control their destiny going forward. Three out of four with the Riders. And then uh, the other game in there with PC. So last I chat, that is kind of the peripheral playoff area of the West Division. But if I could touch quickly on Hamilton, because I know we got to move on to the next game. Boy. It doesn't seem to matter who's at quarterback. It doesn't seem to matter who's hurt. And by the way, it sounds like uh, Braywin Addison will be back uh, this week. Uh, he hinted something about I'll be back soon or coming back soon on on Twitter. Uh, this is a Hamilton team but very, very formidable in the East Division. And anytime you can win with a third-string quarterback, just speaks to the depth of your team. Yeah, David Watford, you know, 86% completion percentage, 19 of 22, 149 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, he added 35 yards on the ground. You know, uh, 
obviously it was a close game. And if Calgary's offense gets going a little more, uh, it, it turns things back in the other direction. Maybe we're talking about this game from Watford differently, but the Ticats leaned on some big defensive play. Uh, Simone Lawrence had the big interception that I believe went for a pick six uh, that, you know, was turned the tide here for the Ticats. And uh, Watford kept it clean. He didn't fumble. He didn't throw an interception. He completed most of his passes. He moved the sticks when he needed to to get them on the board uh, or at least in the field goal range. And, and you know, the, the Ticats had a great game, Taylor, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this possibly, but Taylor Bertolet, uh, Bertolet, Bertolet, I'm not sure exactly, uh, five of five on field goals for them. So that's a position that's been a struggle for the Ticats as well. They, they're getting guys stepping up at all positions. I mean, you look at the receiving core, you've got Tim White, uh, who's stepped up finally and is realistically one of the go-to receivers for the tie cats at this point, six catches on six targets for 40 yards. That's a very fine day for a guy who stepped up in that offense. And it's not only him, it's other guys as well. I mean, for all intents and purposes, any given year, the tie cats should have like with the roster, they fielded up for this game. They should have not beaten Calgary. Uh, you're talking about a team that hasn't beaten Calgary in Bowie by Mitchell's career. And now you've got third string quarterback, David Watford, You've got basically third string and fourth string running backs in Jackson Bennett and Malik Irons because there was no mm -hmm. Sean Thomas Erlington, no uh, Don Jackson at running back. They didn't really do a whole ton in the running game, sure. But then you've got a receiving core, which no Braylon Addison, no Devere Posey, no Brandon Banks. Like you have Jalen Acklin and a bunch of rookies. And the offense wasn't fantastic. But the Ticats are a team that is, uh, is, you know, a team that is well-rounded in the sense that, yeah, the offense didn't need to be because the defense stepped up big time. Yeah, it's, it's just to me, and, and that's one of those things where, you know, on paper, the predictomatics would pick Calgary, given all the injuries, given all the circumstances. And I think that's what makes this Calgary loss all the more concerning is if you weren't going to beat Hamilton in the state of their franchise that they are injury-wise right now, and that's no disrespect to Hamilton, you have a real problem. And you know what? I'll tell you something. If Hamilton's playing like this, with all their injured guys, imagine what happens when they get back to full strength in the playoffs. That is the that is a scary, scary proposition. And I think if you're Hamilton, you can pretty much start looking forward to, to the playoffs, assuming, you know, you're not part of the, right now, I think the crossover is in effect. So you have to keep, uh, you know, the, the, the crossover and all that in, in mind too. But to me, and I said this in our, in our season preview show, it's all about the playoffs for Hamilton. What does Hamilton do in the playoffs? And how do they get there? And you know what? I think we've seen that this team, despite all the injuries, can be good at, okay, 60% strength, 70% strength. Let's see when this team is fully loaded, you know, what they're capable of and have everybody back, if that, if that happens. Um, but again, I, I think there's a lot of questions in the league in general in the East. and. 
more specifically in Calgary. And let me just make one thing clear. I do not believe, um, I do not believe for one second, Ryan, but didn't or have made job on the line here. Uh, I don't advocate for those two gentlemen to be fired. This is just a remarkable downward season, which nobody saw coming. Yeah, and, you know, just before we move on to the next game, I want to touch on Bowie by Mitchell a little bit. You did earlier. Um, we, we talked about preseason. It's been two years since a lot of these guys have played. Naturally, we're going to see some guys take a step back. Uh, after two years off, we're going to see, you know, some guys uh, maybe even take a step forward because they've had two years to train or heal from injuries, et cetera. Never did I think Bo would be one of those guys that takes as big of a step back as he has. And, and part of it is, I think, I, I truly don't think he's fully healthy. Like he broke his fibula for Pete's sake and came back after missing three games when he was on the six game injured list. Like, you can't tell me Bo is 100% on that leg. You can't tell me from some of the throws he's had so far this season that his shoulder is 100%. I don't think he is. And, uh, you know, I, I think the way things were going with how Jake Mayer was playing in his three starts, I don't think they should have rushed Bo back as fast as they did. Now, I know that's hard to say when you're paying him the dollars you are, but I can't believe I'm saying this, Mike, but coming out of the bye week, I think Jake Mayer needs to start for Calgary because like you said, it is a dire, dire situation. And I'm not writing off Bo's career or anything at this point. I just think it's a, a situation where Calgary needs to get things going and you go with the quarterback that's done the most for you so far this season. And that's been Jake Mayer. And, you know, perhaps if Bo's career and a big yeah. if and a big if on this, if his career is on the down slide, you start prepping your next quarterback in Jake Mayer. So I, I think he, it's, to me, it's a no-brainer. Start Mayer in the next game. Here's the question that I didn't necessarily want to get into because I know that, uh, because I know we, I know we got to move on, but I have to ask, the way you worded things in your question, are you suggesting or are you thinking that perhaps there might be a bit of a power struggle as far as both should play, both should not play. Um, because I can't help but wonder, like, if you know that Bo is not 100%, why is he playing? Is Bo forcing his way to play? Are you doing this to make a, um, to make a, a player happy and putting your franchise in jeopardy? As far as wins go, how, how do you see that? Like that to me is really, really remarkable. Um, and I'm just wondering where you sit on that because, you know, I agree with you. I don't think Bo's healthy. I don't think he has been shoulder legs, all things aside. But why not start Mayor? prior to this week, if that's the case. Do you think there's a bit of a power struggle going on there? Or is power struggle perhaps a little bit too too deep of a word? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily that. And, you know, on the, the lost episode from last week that we recorded but weren't able to release, um, I, I had kind of gone off on Michael Riley in BC and said there was a power struggle between him 
and Rick Campbell there because Riley has injured, you know, he's been questionable every game this year. And yet he was out there in a blowout of Ottawa in the final up until two minutes left in the game for no apparent reason other than Riley wanted to play is what it looked like to me. I think maybe some of that you could say about Bo Levi Mitchell, where it's, you know, this guy's the veteran. He He's a top quarterback in the game and has been for many years. He's earned the right to, you know, say when he's healthy and ready to go that he, he should be in the lineup. Uh, so I, I think maybe it's partially that. I think it's also just, ba- just you, you look at based on track records, you know, well, let's say Calgary does start mayor and they lose the last two, three games and, and then, but Bo is actually healthy and ready to go. Then all of the talk is all of a sudden you have this all-star, you know, MOP quality quarterback on the bench, ready to go, who says he's coming back from his injury and you're not playing him. Like I, I can see what the flip side of the narrative would have been if we had the same results, but mayor started. Uh, and Bo was healthy. So I think it's a tricky situation to navigate really for Calgary right now. And uh, as, as an outsider and, you know, as a, as a bomber fan, and I think all other eight franchises fans agree with me, it's really fun watching Calgary have these struggles right now. Oh, um, yeah, I gotta admit, I, I kind of like it, but it's kind of weird. Um, I know some people in Calgary that are at the point of they don't care anymore. Um, and that's, that's very, very interesting. But we'll see what the next few weeks bring for sure. Let's move on to the second game of the week. Also came Friday night. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders with a 30-16 to 16 win over the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, what's the major storyline here you want to start with, Mike? Well, the bigger storyline is the Riders are back. The Riders look good. The Riders are the Riders that we saw before the Blue Bombers. Uh, we saw before the Blue Bombers uh, sweep of the uh, Riders. Now, the interesting part was in the podcast, but didn't wind up getting out. As you recall, Ryan, I had this big discussion about who are the Riders? What are the Riders? Um, very, very interesting that way. Uh, when it comes to that. Um, but you know what? Again, this was the riders of the team that started 3-0, and and that was a timely defense, a very good offense, some some young Canadian receivers stepping up, and uh, this game was never really, I thought, in any kind of peril of slipping away from the riders. And you know what was nice to see? A running game for once. Mm. Um, amazing what happens when you run the ball. Who knew? Yeah, I, I, 182 yards rushing combined from everyone. William Powell, 21 carries for 122 yards. I don't know if we've seen Powell ever get 21 carries in a game for the Riders. He had a good number. I don't know the exact count lot last week against the Bombers as well. Uh, it seems that, you know, after we had those games, it, maybe the Labor Day game finally and, and the flack they got on, you know, the passing game, that was the one where Fajardo threw, I think, three interceptions. The passing game wasn't connecting. Receivers were dropping a lot of balls. And Powell had like a five-and-a-half-yard average in that game but only got eight carries, and everyone's questioning, well, why don't you give him the ball more? 
And it's like something clicked the week after in the Banjo Bowl against the Bombers. They started running the ball with him. Uh, they did it again in this game. And, and that's really, you know, in a in their arguably two of their best games this year, which is this one against Toronto and their win over Hamilton, uh, which came in, I think, week number two, they gave Powell the ball a lot. And in the games where it's, oh, they almost blew the lead in week one against BC or in the games they, they lost, uh, it was, well, why is he not getting the ball at all? Like, yes, some of these young receivers have stepped up well. Yes, Cody Fajardo uh, is, you know, a talented quarterback. But if you don't have a run game, you become one-dimensional and you become a lot easier to shut down. And I don't think it's no surprise the correlation here between Powell's arguably best game of the season and the riders finally put offensive touchdowns on the board again uh no touchdowns in the last two weeks from this offense uh you know no passing touchdowns since that aforementioned game against hamilton in week two and then they just had one touchdown against ottawa in their third game of the year so now they get back on the board two passing touchdowns one on the ground for fajardo yeah, I think the Riders are getting back on track here a little bit, and uh, it's good to see because that back-to-back -back losses to the Bombers, Fajardo, you know, leaving the game with concussion, we weren't even sure if he was going to play this week. Uh, I don't know if he looked fantastic. He had 67% completion percentage, 212 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, he did run a lot, though, with 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but they got it done offensively, and uh, kudos to the Riders for getting back on track with that. Knocks on the table. Jason Moss, are you there? Is that really you? I mean, I can't recall a Jason Moss coach team running the ball as much as we saw the other night. So keep it up, bud. I, I really like that, and I'm saying that in all sincerity. Yeah, and I thought the Riders' defense did decently well as, as well. You know, Nick Arbuckle did have a pretty good day for the Argos. Uh, 309 passing yards, two touchdowns, a pick. Um, but the Riders also got to him with four or five sacks. That defensive line uh, still managed to get it done, even with a couple pieces missing. They forced a couple turnovers as well. You know, the, they are missing a lot of pieces right now due to suspensions uh well only one suspension uh but injuries and you know guys are stepping up and getting it done and yeah this puts the riders back on track now to uh definitely keep pace and they have a great matchup coming up this week with the bc lions and they'll be uh, you know fighting for second place in that west division and trying to keep pace with winnipeg can i just bring something up quickly there was some news that came out last Thursday that A.C. Leonard had been suspended an additional game uh, for, quote, abusing a uh, – for abusing the person that uh, did his uh, sample for his uh, – uh, I don't even know how to word this. Did his – his – what's the word, Ryan? Did his, his substance testing for his substance testing. Thank you. Um, if it's me, and I'm sorry, and I'm not the only one that says this, the minute AC Leonard comes off of suspension, he should be released. I, I'm not even joking when I say that, and I'm not the only one 
uh, in and around Regina, but suggest that he should be released. To do that to a substance tester and get an extra game suspension out of this, so he's now suspended one more game instead of coming back this week, just goes to show how bad of a situation it really got. And it really makes me wonder what they would have found if they would have, if he would have taken the test. And I'm not here to say he's guilty, whatever. But what is what is he hiding? And the B part, why are you going after the person that is doing your testing? Like that is an ultimate. I, I don't even know how a professional athlete can even scoot to that level. It, it just agitates the you-know-what out of me. When I heard this, uh, it was on the, on the CFL disciplinary uh, press release that he had been suspended in extra game. Really makes me wonder what they would have found and really makes me wonder how his team is going to respond receive them in a locker room after the suspension and quite honestly I don't believe that uh, the team will let him back in the locker room and I, I know that I might take some heat for that but having been around teams and been broadcasting for multiple teams once you lose your teammates it is very hard to get their respect back and I'm just wondering if this was the final straw. Well, because you know what? Those poor people are just doing their job. And to attack and verbally abuse them, as we've been told, and pick up the suspension. A suspension, not a fine. A suspension. Tells you how bad it really got. And you know what? I, I think it should be released. I stand by that. I said that the minute uh, that, you know, the extra game was added, um, there was no place in the game for that at all. Rant over. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. No place for that. And if you abused, you know, a testing official, like, absolutely, it's worth another game suspension. And and th there's no place for that in, in life, in the league in general. Don't abuse anybody. Like, that, that's the easiest lesson to learn. Um, on whether or not he'll be welcomed back into the locker room, I, I just pulled it up in front of me here, uh, an article on Three Down Nation from John Hodge. Apparently, uh, in his media conference earlier today, Craig Dickinson saying uh, that he was, you know, he was having trouble, uh, that AC Leonard was having trouble providing a sample and getting really frustrated about it. And he was probably there until about 11 o'clock at night, apparently still trying and then just gave up at that point and said, that's enough. So I, I, I don't really know what to make of the situation, but it, it sounds like, and he goes on to say that, you know, he was, he was there for a long time and Dickinson says, we forgive him and we're ready to move on uh, to end his quote there. So it sounds like, uh, once suspension suspension is over, Leonard will be back in the locker room. But, uh, you know, if he tries to pull something like that again, uh, I, I hope he's learned his lesson from this one. And, and 
whatever the underlying details actually are of it, uh, just don't abuse anybody. And the bottom line, and I, I hate to bring this up, and I think I brought it up with you, the writer fans that are attacking Andrew Harris can please stop now. Both guys are guilty, but it's it's time to let what happened two years ago with Andrew Harris go just as much as it's time to let this go and, and just move on from it all. Well, the, the, I don't I don't think that I don't think we should let it go because no. what Andrew Harris did was he, he, he used substances he wasn't supposed to. He, he effectively cheated. Right. Uh, and, and same with AC Leonard potentially here. Who knows? Uh, but I mean, it's hypocritical from both sides. Right. Bomber fans were, are, are going to bring up the AC Leonard thing, but constantly defend Andrew Harris. Riders fans are going to bring up the Andrew Harris thing nonstop and not bring up the AC Leonard thing that often. It's hypocritical from both sides. Both guys were wrong in what they did. Let's all agree on that, and let's just move on. Yeah, and I think that's what I meant by like they let it go, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's a very serious situation, but both guys are guilty. Both guys, you know, are clearly in the wrong. It doesn't look good on anybody to be haggling back and forth about this. Let's switch to the Argos side of things here and get back on track with this week's games. Um, this was another ebb or flow or whichever one's the down part. Peak and Valley, this was another Valley, I guess, for the Argos. Uh, the consistently inconsistent seems to uh, have struck again for them, and this was the down week after, you know, they got the win against the Ticats the week before. Is, is that just the best way to sum it up for the Argos? Another down week for them? Another down week where they ran into a really good team. Um, I would put this among the similar efforts of what they saw in Winnipeg. Um, both of them were on the road, coincidentally enough. Um, I just didn't think the Ardo defense was good enough. Uh, they took a lot of penalties, too many penalties, and that hurt them. Uh, but it wouldn't have taken so many penalties. Uh, a couple of drives would have been over before they, before they really even started. And, uh, yeah, whenever, whenever you're in double-digit penalties, uh, you, you're in a world of hurt. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, and I think, you know, the turnovers and sloppy plays here and there are still hurting the Argos as well. They had 112 yards worth of penalties, but they were still in this game for a, a good while. Uh, you know, it was 18 to nine uh, at the start of the fourth quarter. And then, you know, once Fajardo uh, completed that pass to Keon Schaefer Baker, who bullied it in for the touchdown, that pretty much, you know, put the end potentially for the Argos at that point. They do get back on the board when Eric Rogers uh, picks up a touchdown, makes it a 12 point game later on. But from there, the, you know, the Argos don't get anything going the rest of the way and the Riders uh, just run the ball a lot and take it home for the win. But um, I don't know where you go from like, like, I don't know how, what to make of this Argos team. Are they good? Are they not? Is this like, like, okay, this was a down game for them. Or, or is next week they're going to come out and, and, you know, blow Montreal out of the water? Like, 
Like, where do we go from here with the Argos and how do they take all the talent they have and the good things we've seen from them and put it into a consistent formula that shows up every single week? Well, here's the thing. Hamilton and Toronto are three and three, Montreal two and two. So everybody's virtually in the same spot, minus the two fewer games played for Montreal. Nobody's really shown me that they can run away with that division. It's who's going to be consistent first for a more sustained period of time is going to win this division. And you know what? I think if you would have looked at the Argo schedule and you would have said, okay, these are the opponents that play in the first six games. They're going to come out of it three and three. Well, one would suggest they were in that game to win it. Uh, the other, in the, in the Winnipeg game there, they had a chance there for a little bit to win it. Um, you know, maybe fortunate to win that Winnipeg game in Toronto where, you know, I think that was more a case of the Bombers shooting themselves in the foot. But I will still give the Ardo's credit. You know, I think all things decide through such games, if you look at the Ardo schedule, relative to what their record is. I, I think you would have taken that. I think the issue that we both have is the lows have been so low and the highs have been, you know, great cup champion written all over it. And there's no real middle ground with this team. It's either really low or, yeah, they can win the great cup on a week-to-week basis. And that's the problem, and that's the trademark of a team, but consistently inconsistent. Yeah, and like we said, this was a down week for the Argos, and unfortunately, they also got hit a little bit by some uh, some injury issues in this one. I believe both Cameron Judge and Hinoch Mwamba, two of the top linebackers in the league, um, go down due to injury in this game. And I don't know if you've seen the injury report that just came out earlier today on Monday, uh, but there's a lot of names on this injury report. You've got a couple offensive linemen who didn't practice, uh, Judge and Muamba and Bear Woods all not practicing, uh, it, Nick, Nick Arbuckle limited yeah. in practice, Collins Jr., D- Daniels, etc., limited as well. Now, granted, it is, I think, the first day of practice of the week for the Argos. And, you know, some of these guys might just be taking a rest day earlier in the week. That tends to happen. Uh especially with veteran players more often, especially in a shortened season. And especially we have to remember the Argos have a really tight schedule coming up in the middle pack of the season here in the next couple of weeks, uh, where I believe they play, you know, something like three games in 16 days or something like that. Yeah. And then that made up with Toronto in November too. With Edmonton. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Sorry with Edmonton. Um, you know what? I, 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 Paint and I think if the Argos finish one to two to 500, that would be a successful season to me, given what they have left. Let's move on to the Saturday games. And it started off with the BC Lions and the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, in Montreal, BC coming there. Montreal looking for their first home win of the year, I believe, and they do not get it. BC winning 27 to 18. Uh, first thing that jumps out to me is I, I feel like BC always struggles on road games in Montreal just because of quite the distance. Uh, 
I seem to recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, one particular playoff year where they came over there for the crossover game and it was 52 nothing or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, BC always seeming to struggle in Montreal, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they looked pretty darn good this game, didn't they? Uh, yeah, no, the, the Lions look good, uh, particularly uh, Michael Riley looking more and more comfortable. Uh, as the year has gone on, he seems to be getting more healthy, uh, whether it's rest or whether it's just settling in. Uh, Lucky Whitehead, my goodness, that that has been a revelation. Uh, given a uh, starting position, uh, more featured part of the offense, he was very limited, uh, given the pieces in Winnipeg, but you know, we saw the missed field goal return last week. Uh, we started a long touchdown this week. I think it's really seriously time to start considering the BC Lions as maybe the second best team in the West and by extension, the second best team in the league. And I think I said this to you a while ago, uh, about a week or two ago, maybe via that message uh, about the. BC Lions are kind of be good, are to be taken serious and are the Blue Bombers' biggest threat as far as coming out of the West. And you know what? It's interesting, but this team has kind of turned the corner since its new ownership group has been announced. And I don't think that's an accident either. Um, you know, it, it revitalizes the team when, you know, you have something like an ownership announcement. Uh, there's a little bit more pride and a little bit more certainty. And I think people maybe slept on just how good BC is. And they fit the holes that needed to be fit, most notably on the offensive line and, to, and a bit of help on the back end of the defense and a game-breaking receiver. I'm not entirely surprised that, that this is where BC is. Yeah, they brought in all the pieces seemingly a couple years ago. They just, you know, it was a brand new team that needed time to gel with all the pieces. And, you know, just go back to Toronto for a second. Maybe that's what we're seeing from this up and down Argos team right now that has all the talent and just couldn't put it up together consistently. And now BC is doing that. And they got, like you mentioned, the bigger pieces on the offensive line, like having Riker Matthews. Uh, and, and they have a number of good guys there on the offensive line. And, you know, we're getting to the midway point of the season, and, and I, I'm interested to hear who are, who are your front runners for the most outstanding player award at this point in the season? Because you, you touched a little bit on Lucky Whitehead. He's having a fantastic year, uh, six catches on six targets, 133 yards and a touchdown in this game. Uh, you know, receiving-wise, he's already at 554 yards. He's already passed his receiving total in fit from 15 games in 2019 and just six starts this year. Uh, do we need to start thinking of maybe he's a potential nominee for this award? Absolutely, and I also think it's time to throw Zach Kalaros into that list, and I also think it's time to throw Willie, Willie Jefferson on that list, too. Um, because I'm such and tired of the notion that the most outstanding player always has to be an offensive player. 
It is time to give the defense their due. It is time to give their defense even more due this year. Containing the offense for a large portion of what they've done. Uh, it's just absolutely remarkable. And yeah, Lucky Whitehead, Willie Jefferson, Cody Fajardo, you know, maybe Tian Schaefer Baker for top Canadian if he keeps this up. Um, you know, I would say Vernon Adams out east, but he's been so inconsistent. But I think I think if you were to start MOP list or MOP watch, Lucky Whitehead would certainly be near the top, and I would uh, be very quick to put Willie Jefferson on that list. If you make me go offensive, I would put uh, uh, Zach Kalaros on that list too because I think he's a big part of why the Bombers have been so steady offensively. But you know what? There's a lot of candidates so early on. And kudos to the Lions in general, and especially kudos to Michael Riley. He, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the game year after year. In 2019, he had a rough season. He, he spent the majority of the game on his back, the majority of season on his back, getting hit over and over again. And it just kind of seemed like the Lions weren't very good. And Riley's just trying to grit it out and push to just will his team to a win arguably sometimes too often by forcing the ball down the field uh, when he shouldn't have been at times. But uh, he seems to be on track nicely this year. And go back to week one when he came in at halftime and he started throwing the ball and, and the, the the throws he was making, that ball was fluttering so much in the air. And we were like, oh boy, this could be a long season for BC. He's gotten himself healthy enough. You know, he's always going to grit it out, even if he's questionable each and every week. Uh, and he's having himself a fine season. And yeah, 84% completion percentage uh, and th- over 300 yards and two touchdowns. A nice, nice day for Michael Riley this week. Uh, but on the other side of the, the field, uh, Montreal's quarterback, Vernon Adams Jr., uh, a rough day for him again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an inconsistent day. He had a couple times where he could have gotten a touchdown. Um, he could have gotten a touchdown, but he overthrew it, threw an interception. I still think that we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I still firmly am of the belief, Ryan, that Vernon Adams is trying to do too much too soon. And he's trying to do it all himself. For whatever reason, um, if he could find a way to play the way he did in that Ottawa game, I mean, he put too much pressure on himself, and by extension, forces things, and by extension, forces turnovers, and by extension, takes his team out of the game. He has to realize that his team is good around him offensively defensively, and yes, on special teams too. He needs to start. I know you want to do everything, and I know you want to be the guy responsible, but sometimes doing too much is almost worse than doing too little, especially when you're a team like Montreal. Yeah, and, you know, 44.4 completion percentage. I think that may be his lowest on the year, just 16 of 36. He still puts up 270 yards, but no touchdowns, two interceptions. 
you know, Jake Weineke was averaging a touchdown a game coming into this. He doesn't get one on the board, just two catches on seven targets. Eugene Lewis, four of 11. Cunningham, six of 10. So just not on the same page, the receivers here. Uh, William Sandback had a fantastic day. 18 carries for 139 yards. That's an average of 7.7. You know, it was a close ball game pretty much all the way through. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't, if the passing game wasn't going, like where were the adjustments to, you know, lean a little more heavily on standback, let them get 25 carries, let them run for 200 yards. I think if they do that, it's not under the realm of possibility that uh, Montreal wins this game. Sometimes I think the coaches are their own worst enemy. I have to wonder how the game would have been different with Kahari Jones on the sideline. Um, I know his offensive assistant is probably a very capable person, but I'll tell you something. Sometimes a young coach like that coaching in his first game, guy with not a lot of experience, has a tendency to overthink a little bit. And... It's unfortunate, but again, it's it's one of those things where if I'm if I'm Montreal, it's like I'm very very frustrated. But like we have a great top caliber team, we just don't play like it on a lot of weeks. And maybe this team still has another step to take before we put them in in the great top contender conversation. For the record, I still have them there. I think they are very capable of coming out of, out of the uh, East Division, most certainly, especially the way that division is playing. Remains to be seen whether the crossover uh, will be in effect. I know you and I both don't seem to think it will be, but the longer it is, I think that's the discussion we need to have. But, you know, Montreal's, I think, better than Toronto. And we'll see this week that I, I mean, it's very interesting uh, because now you're getting in those, those types of head-to-head games of a lot of implication, much like we talked about Calgary earlier in this podcast. I have to ask the question, and maybe you just answered it a little bit before we move on to the next game, is mm-hmm. which Mon- is, is Montreal legit, like – First game of the year, well-rounded in all three phases. They beat the Elks. Uh, now, the Elks have certainly had their own struggles. Uh, other than that, you know, two losses there in the middle where they just didn't seem to look great. And then they have the the shellacking of the Ottawa Red Blacks coming into the bye week, and we start thinking, yeah, this offense is finally getting back on a roll. The defense had themselves an okay game, I think, in that one. They made some plays. Um, and we, I, we were hyped up for them coming out of this bye week that maybe they got oh. back on track and then they dropped this performance against the Lions. Like, where do you go from here in your perception of the Alouettes? Do we just chalk those wins up to, you know, an Edmonton team that wasn't very good at the start of the year an Ottawa team that's been a disaster. Sorry, Red Blacks fans. Or do we chalk this up to the Alouettes are as much of an up and down team as the Argos are just maybe higher, higher peaks and lower valleys. Okay. I'll, I'll say this because I think it needs to be said and I'm not about, I'll preference by saying 
I am not a betting man. I do not bet on sports, nor is it my intention to bet on sports. But if somebody gave me money and said, go cash a ticket by betting on somebody to win the Grey Cup, I would be more likely to place my chips on the Alouette bandwagon right now than I would on the Ardo bandwagon, largely because of the quarterbacking of the two teams. I think Vernon Adams is capable of getting back to where he was in 2019. Nick Arbuckle, still a relatively unproven quarterback, has had good uh, has had good good games uh, when he wants when he is able and when his team allows him to uh, have great games. But again, like I said, I would place my money if somebody gave me money. To play with, and we were betting with Monopoly money. Sure, I would ten times rather place the bet on the Montreal West at this point over the Toronto Argonauts, largely because of the quarterback situation being a little bit more proven. Let's move on to our final game of the week: the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Edmonton Elks. The Bombers win this one in Edmonton, thirty-seven twenty-two. Uh, we got the big news late last week that Trevor Harris on the six-game injured list. I didn't even realize he got injured in that game against Calgary, but I guess he tweaked his neck a bit. He tried practicing during the week and uh, wasn't ready to go. And then uh, out of nowhere, six the bombshell dropped six-game injured list. And uh, Taylor Cornelius getting his first start uh, for the Elks. Uh, what, what's the storyline from this game for you? Uh, the storyline for me is the Bomber defense. Obviously, the two defensive scores. Um, this answered a lot of questions to me. Uh, if I can toot the Bomber's own, toot my own horn for a minute here on the local football team. Um, the biggest thing for me was I wanted to see where the offense wasn't necessarily clutching or had trouble clutching or they needed a big drive to come back from a deficit, or no, they were losing in the third quarter, I think it was in this game, after mm-hmm. jumping out to a 14-0 lead, uh, getting control where it looked like it was going to be a blowout. I was very impressed with uh, the Bomber defense and the response as a Bomber player, and for me, this was a grown-up effort from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But it was a championship effort, taking advantage of a young guy at quarterback and uh, making him look very, very uncomfortable. And the defense doing what they needed to do to help the team win. And yes, this is the win more aimed at the defense where the previous teams were maybe toward the offense, but I wanted to see if the Bombers had the capability in them to win a game like this, where maybe you start with a comfortable lead, you let the other team into it, and then you assert control late third quarter and into the fourth quarter. The Bombers are not... They get very little style points for me as far as the way this game is won, but they get brownie points for winning the game the way they did at Batman Tennis Sense. 
Here's a very weird analogy for this game, and it's a bit of story time. And, and I started, you know, thinking about this game after watching it, and I tried to compare it. What does this game remind me of? And Mike, this game reminds me of my childhood relationship with hot dogs, because as a child, I threw up once after eating a hot dog. And after that, I never really wanted to, uh, for a long time, and never ate hot dogs again. So whenever I was somewhere where we were having hot dogs, I just ate the bun. Because, well, first of all, I love bread. Who doesn't love bread? Bread is great, unless you're gluten-free, then maybe you don't. But this is what my, this game reminded me of hot dogs, because you have the two sides of the bun, the start, and the end were fantastic, that delicious bread. And then you had the hot dog in the middle, which was for me uh, growing up the disgusting thing. The, uh, the thing, it was messy in the middle. Uh, you had uh, some turnovers that you shouldn't have thrown that really changed the tide of the game. You had some penalties that didn't help. Um, the Bombers, you know, they, they let Edmonton back into this game. I don't know if that analogy made sense for anybody but me. And honestly, just may have just lost us some listeners. But uh, that is how I saw this game. The, you know, the Bombers started strong. They let Edmonton back into it in the middle. And uh, they finished quite strong again with the other half of the butt. I'm not saying this because I'm your friend, <laughs> but I love that analogy. Perfect. Is that the that- that's exactly the way I saw it, too. I'm going to start trying to come up with these wild analogies for Bomber games each and every week. Well, that can be a segment on the show. But, uh, no, I thought they started really strong. Uh, uh, you know, 14 nothing lead. They almost made it 21 nothing uh, potentially, I guess. No, converts are never a guarantee anymore. Um, but then you throw the pick in the end zone. Props to Edmonton for getting themselves back into the game. But then as they've done all season long, the Bombers put the pressure on late in the game and they only gave up three points in the fourth quarter, another dominant fourth quarter for them defensively. And, you know, I think they've given up what, I don't think they've given up a touchdown in the fourth quarter all season. Yeah, it's it's very remarkable. Um, Fact of the matter is you have to come into the fourth quarter with the lead uh, against Winnipeg, uh, even then the way that defense plays in the fourth quarter, just, I don't want to say it's a bend, but not great because that's not true, but there's definitely been a maturing part. Um, there's definitely been a maturing part to this, uh, bomber team over the years. Now, the big storyline and the big thing that was uh, is still surrounds this Bomber team, and maybe it's the kryptonite, and it scares me so much that there's so much talent on this team, both offensively, they were pretty efficient. Defensively, they got it done really well. But the kicking game, Mike, is a struggle once again, and we have the new kicker, Ali Mortada, come in, and, and we get the talk that, you know, he, he's – him saying in practice his, his comfortable range is something like 60 yards on a field goal, and we're thinking, all right, maybe we can, re- we can turn this around a little bit. And I think all our hopes and dreams in that category got shattered, what, in the second quarter, I think it was, on a 28-yard field goal attempt that went very wide right. 
and then proceeded to go wide right on two other kicks after that. Uh, 0 for 3 on the field goal kicking for the new kicker. Uh, he did hit the converts. I'll give him that. That's something that Mark Leggio couldn't do. Uh, but this seems to be the problem once again. Bombers kickers averaging just 50% on field goals all season long. Where do you go from here? You're right. I'm, I would go right back to kid. I like your mechanics. You're going to figure this out. And I'd give him a couple of games. If he doesn't figure it out in a couple of games, then you look at your alternatives. But I think to recycle kitchens because of one poor game every single time, if you look at it, the kitchen hasn't been that great around the lead. Not, not as high percentage-wise as it has been in normal years. At some point, I'm willing to cut slack, at least until Jane Dotsby starts to mean something a little bit more. But, yeah, I would be concerned if it came down to you have to hit the 40-yard field goal to win the West Final, and I want to know that whoever it is can make the kit. Absolutely. But the Bombers have some time to figure it out, but not too much time. Let's talk about the Edmonton side of things. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, first CFL start, 19 of 33, 57.6% completion percentage, 243 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, and about 95 references on the broadcast about how strong his arm was. Uh, what do you make of Cornelius's first start? And uh, are, are you hopeful for the Elks? that they can survive Trevor Harris's six-game injured list stint? Uh, or do you have concerns for them going into their bye week? Well, I mean, I, I've i seen worse from a guy making this first CFL start. Yeah, because we're in Winnipeg. And that always seems to be a situation, whether it's Brank, Dinwiddie, LaForce, Oh, no. Uh, He's going through the list. Don't do it, Mike. Uh, you know, far too many to mention, but I've not had success in a backup role making a last-minute start. And I'd probably miss it if you – oh, right. Uh, Joey Elliott, another one. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple. Michael Bishop, when he was here. I'm not uh, contributing to this list because I refuse to contribute to my own pain. I buried those memories and I refuse to bring them back up. But anyway, it, despite that list that I just gave, yes, the two mistakes were terrible. But if you have nothing to learn from and everything was perfect in the first game, I think that would be... As much as you would love to see that kind of thing, that's also not the best thing, if you know what I mean. And you know what? It is correctable. Is it a terrible loss as far as their playoff situation? Yes. But to me, their playoff hopes were, were very dim going into this game, given their circumstances and given their record. Uh, I would say they're even more damaged after this last game and I would suggest to you that a bomber win in one of the next two games would not only seal the season series 
but at least prevent uh, Edmonton from catching Winnipeg. Not sure about, you know, BC and Saskatchewan, because I know they're, they still have games up with them. But all in all, all things considered, is you need to figure out, I'll tell you, Trevor Harris is in his mid, in his mid-30s. He's only going to probably play another three or four years, I think, being conservative um, with that approach. You need to know what you have behind them, what you need to develop. Because, honestly, I totally forgot about Dakota Prokop, who was uh, the quarterback responsible for that big, big running play where he just about literally got his head taken off on the implosion of a hit that came, you need to figure out what you have behind Trevor Harris, and you need to start developing quarterbacks, especially if you don't want to take the step back if and when the end of Trevor Harris's career comes in the next couple of years. And I think, you know, maybe the Elks have a bit of an opportunity here in the next couple of weeks to get things on track for Cornelius because – I mean, being sure he's been the backup all season long, you know, he's been taking reps in practice in that regard, but this was truly all all of a sudden the last couple of days of practice when he started taking more of the first time reps and going up against this Bombers defense is about the tallest task you could ask for. And, And I thought he made some good plays. He did show you know, that arm strength they referenced over and over, uh, sometimes maybe a little bit too much where the receivers weren't quite ready for it. Uh, but then he had some throws where, you know, they were just ill-advised throws or an ill-advised fumble and that, you know, ended up in two touchdowns for the Bombers, which really changed this game uh, there for him. But I think he did have some promising moments there. And the opportunity I'm talking about is, look, they're on a bye week this week, so that's a week off for him, knowing now he's the starter to re- re, you know, review game film, prep your offense around him uh, to come back. And then week nine, coming out of the bye week, they face the Ottawa Red Blacks, which you know have been an easier matchup for a lot of teams so far this year. And so they do have the home and home again with the Bombers coming up after that. But now that's a week off. And a week against an Ottawa team where you can have Cornelius go out there and get more experience before you come back for this head-to-head with the Bombers. And I'll say this, I won't be shocked if the Elks take one of those two against Winnipeg. It's hard to sweep a home-and-home series, even if it is, you know, on paper, potentially a lopsided matchup. And I could see Cornelius with another start and a week off under him coming out being a pretty decent starting quarterback. Yeah, and then we also can't rule out the possibility of Trevor Harris coming back early from the six-game list either. Right. Um, but, again, a lot of – I think there was more promise than negativity as far as that Cornelius is concerned. I also thought James Wilder Jr. had himself a fantastic day yet again. I mean, talk about guys who – up and down in their careers. He had that strong first season with Toronto or first year or two, and then kind of dipped off in 2019. And we were, weren't sure what was going to happen with James Wilder Jr. I believe he retired at some point and then decided to come back and play for Edmonton this year. And through six games, he's already at 499 yards. He f- picked up his first two touchdowns on the ground. 
also leads the all running backs in receiving yards. Uh, this guy should be primed to uh, top the running back charts at the end of the year. Yeah, and I agree. And it's great to see he just back to that. When you was on the rookie team, the most outstanding rookie is won his first year in the CFL. Great to see him back uh, to, to that level. And uh, a lot of it is to his offensive line and to his receivers who block for him. Let's move on to our CFL fantasy wrap-up and then get into our pick for this coming week's games. Uh, in week number seven in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League, uh, I took down Joe Pritchard of the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast, uh, an 87.1 point week for myself, improved me to five and two, uh, first place in the standings, a couple guys behind me at four and three, and then uh, a five-way tie behind that at three and four. Uh, I got to keep getting away, getting those wins on the board because not much separates everyone in this league. Uh, this week, uh, the first week where now everyone's played everyone, we're on to the rematches. So I'll be taking on Safamod from the Piffles podcast in a good old uh, Prairie rivalry game here uh, uh, this week. So uh, check out the Rouge, White and Blue podcast, check out the Piffles podcast, and of course, all of the other great shows around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our little fantasy shindig, you heard us do the fantasy draft preseason. We've made a lot of transactions along the way, uh, so our teams have changed quite a bit. But uh, this in this week's transactions, uh, Mike dropped Dane Evans with him being uh, out for quite a while now. Picked up Bo Levi Mitchell, which, well, I haven't seen your moves for this coming week yet, but I am intrigued to see how long you will hold on to him. Uh, given his performance, uh, I also, with Trevor Harris going on injured reserve, I put him on my IR list and picked up Nick Arbuckle. The results for week number seven. I went with the lineup of Michael Riley, William Powell, Andrew Harris, Kadeem Carey, Kamara Jordan, Jake Wieneke, Nick Dembski, Javon Katoy, that big bombers defense, and Sean White for 127.7 points. Uh, Mike fielded Vernon Adams Jr., DJ Foster, James Wilder Jr., William Stanback, Kenny Lawler, Greg Ellingson, Eugene Lewis, Braden Lenius, Hamilton's defense, also a big game from them. We had the two top defenses in the league this week. Uh, and Rene Paradis at kicker, 114.2 points. So I win by 13 this week. Uh, overall totals, 820.5 for me, 769.4 for you, Mike. What do you make of week seven, CFL Fantasy? Vernon Adams, dude. <laughs> you let me down a little bit, but... All in all, I was expecting much worse when you uh, before you sent the scores to me. So uh, that, that's very interesting to me, uh, the scores. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun going forward. Absolutely. Let's get into our picks for week eight plus one quarter of nine, I guess, because uh, we're going to uh, make our pick for that next Tuesday game between Edmonton and Ottawa as well uh since our next show won't be until wednesday uh trying to get back on track a little bit with pick'em this week it starts off wednesday yes two days from now uh in this weird middle of the season schedule the red blacks coming off the bye host the hamilton tiger cats uh any guesses on what the pick trend percentage is mike 80 20 hamilton 
93 to 7, Hamilton. Oh, boy. Who are you taking in this one? Yeah, I'm picking Hamilton. It doesn't seem to matter who their quarterback is. Uh, Sounds like he's going to be David Watford again. Uh, I, I would expect a blowout in favor of Hamilton, but you just never know. I'm going to take uh, Hamilton by more than a touchdown in this one. Yeah, I'm taking the Ticats as well. Uh, I'm very intrigued to see how the Red Blacks are going to come out of the bye week. I know they did add a couple of receivers, uh, guys like Kenny Stafford uh, and a couple guys who had shots in the NFL. Uh, they also did add a quarterback, I believe, over the bye week. Uh, Duck Hodges, uh, I believe Duck's the nickname. Devlin Hodges, he spent time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, so yeah, new quarterback in town for the Red Blacks. We'll see. If he gets in at some point and how he performs there, I assume coming out of the bye week, it will be Dom Davis starting on Wednesday, yeah. but I'm taking the tie cats. Uh, I just think that, you know, until Ottawa shows me something, I'm not picking Ottawa anytime soon. Second game of the week, uh, the start of a Friday doubleheader. Uh, only three games this week. So we've got the one on Wednesday and then the two games on Friday. Uh, but we've got the Argos hosting the Alouettes. Mike, you said when it comes to a Grey Cup pick, if you're playing with Monopoly money, you got to ten, uh, 10 times more you're putting it down on Montreal than Toronto. What about in a Week 8 matchup with Montreal yeah. on the road? Yeah, see, I'm going to back my words up on this podcast, and I'm going to take Montreal just because of the injury uncertainty in Toronto. Uh, if Arbuckle doesn't start a tribute mid I would expect Arbach to run a lot of those injured guys to play. I expect Montreal to bounce back and win by a field goal. I'm taking the Argos at home here. They're up and down and up and down. Last week was down, so this week's got to be up. I, I like the Argos at home. I think Montreal, I, I'm still not sure who they are. I think we know who the Argos are every second week. Uh, and presumably this should be a uh, week back on the right track, especially with the home game here against Montreal. Pick trend was 62% in favor of the Argos, so I'm going uh, on the right side potentially of that or agreeing with, I guess, more people on that one and going Toronto. And then uh, BC hosting Saskatchewan. The pick trend is 62% in favor of the Riders. Oh, this is a tough one to pick for me. I I think I'm taking BC at home in the late uh, in the late Friday night game here. Well, late for us because we're in Central Time Zone. Uh, I like the Lions. I'm happy with what the Riders did to get back on track a little offensively last week, but I want to see another week out for them like that. And I really like the things I'm seeing from BC. So give me the Lions in this one. And uh, I don't think we're going to see. Saskatchewan jump out to a 31 nothing lead at halftime like we did in week number one. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm going to take BC at home. This will be the highest scoring game in a week. Something like a 35-31 score sounds good to me. And then if you ever needed a Tuesday night barn burner of a football game, uh, we've got it served up for you on a silver platter here to kick off week number nine next week. It's the uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks hosting Taylor Cornelius and the Edmonton Elks coming out of the bye week. Uh, I can give you the pick trend. I'm not sure how many people have actually locked in their pick at this point for that week, though, but 85% in favor of Edmonton. Uh, who do you got? 
I'm going to go with Ottawa. I uh, really like the Red Bulls' chances of winning the game. I have concerns about Edmonton. Uh, the Cornelius is a question mark for me. But I'm going to take uh, that set special. Try to flip my pit trend and go with an upset this time. I'm picking Ottawa by a field goal on the bats of their defense. I'm going to go Edmonton here. Uh, Ottawa's struggled in all facets of the game in recent weeks. Uh, besides that week one game where they did beat Edmonton, uh, you know, the defense hasn't put up uh, a fantastic game, really. Uh, the offense has had its fair share of struggles. And, you know, like I said earlier, this is an opportunity for Cornelius and the Elks to get things on the right track here uh, coming out of the bye week. And I'm going to stand by that. And I'm going to take Edmonton on the road. Uh, a nice day for Cornelius. I think he cleans up some of those bad throws and uh, maybe doesn't light it up necessarily, but uh, leads the Elks to a win here that they definitely need to keep pace in that West division. Mike, before we wrap up the show real quick here, uh, anything you want to mention, anything you want to plug and uh, where can people find everything you got going on these days? All right. Well, I'm making a major announcement about a half an hour after we record this podcast. So I'll spill it on the uh, on the podcast. It's about after the afternoon announcement. The Game Time TV premium passes are now on sale. Female Manitoba U18 hockey. Early bird pass is $49.99, $59.99 after this week on Friday morning. It flips to uh, $59.99. Get your early bird passes now by visiting gametimetv.ca and see the best uh, U18 female hockey in Manitoba. There'll be information coming out on the MWJHL season passes early next week. So I'll plug that on the next podcast. Really excited with this new venture. Uh, it's been a long time coming and dead here. Um, very, very excited about the future. Awesome, awesome. And where can everybody find uh, more news and announcements like that, Mike? Uh, Game Time TV on Facebook, facebook.com, Bathlab Game Time TV, or on uh, gametimetv.ca. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, for myself, if you, uh, if you're interested in more CFL fantasy coverage, you can check out the Canadian football fantasy fix on YouTube. Uh, I put up about an hour and a half to two hours worth of just fantasy alone coverage. We don't talk a ton of it here on the show, uh, but each and every week I go through all the positions uh, in the CFL fantasy game and uh, give you my green, yellow and red, white picks. Uh, and then as the week goes along, depth chart updates to adjust accordingly as well. So first game of the week is Wednesday this week, uh, which means I'll have all the positional previews out on Tuesday. Uh, I got to record them all yet tonight after this podcast. So lots of CFL fun for me today. Uh, always love it. Check out Canadian Football Fantasy Fix on YouTube. And if you want more fantasy talk, follow me on Twitter as well, at CooperTrooper42. Uh, if you want to see what Mike's going got going on there, you can follow him at Mike Garrow. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. You can find it, I believe, at the same handle on Facebook as well. Uh, whichever platform you're listening to this on, if you want to leave us a rating or a review, we always appreciate that. 
and share the link to the show with your friends. Uh, we always love talking CFL with whoever chooses to listen to us, and we hope you stay listening to us all season long. Again, next week, we'll be recording Wednesday. It will be out after the first game of next week, uh, just given the weird, quirky schedule. Uh, but it should be out uh, probably Thursday of next week. So as always, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying, first of all, before I wrap things up, check out the Canadian Football Podcast Network, all the other great shows from around there. Almost forgot to slide that in in the mishmash of final things to say here before I wrap it up. And now for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thanks for listening. Have a good one. Enjoy week eight. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.